0: Hey boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with Leo Flowers and uh, I have a special guest with me today, Chris Brown Not the Chris Brown No, not not the, well... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah. Older, whiter. Um, and uh, I'm excited for him to, to share his story. He's uh, he's worked on um, uh, the suicide hotlines and currently working at Kaiser Permanente in their uh, mental health uh, division. You have a master's degree also, Chris. Yep. Um, but before we get into all that, we always love to start every episode with uh, the suicide hotline number one eight hundred suicide suICide make that phone call if you need to they're there if you just want to talk uh, even if you even if you feel like your issue is a small thing it is not a big deal and 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 nobody wants to hear make the phone call and I promise you they will help you uh, work through it if you've lost someone make the phone call they will help you through the grieving process um, Chris yes sir I'm excited. Now, here's how I met Chris. Before we get, I did a show last night at Tommy T's with the very funny Alonzo Bowden, and Chris and your wife. What's your wife's name? D. 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 Was there? And after the show, uh, I was talking to D. And she was like, my, my husband, Chris, he used to work at the Suicide Hotline, and I works at Kaiser Permanente and the mental health part. And I was like, I got to talk to the dude, Chris. And then me and Chris started talking, and I was like, oh, I got to have him on the podcast because his story is incredible. And I feel like you, the listener, is going to get a lot of value out of his experiences with the hotline at Kaiser Permanente and, and mental health. And then he's also going to talk about his own struggle with depression. Um, Chris. Welcome. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Um, so right now you are at Kaiser Permanente, right?
1: Yes. I'm a case manager,
0: uh, at the Hoppy Art offices,
1: Kaiser Permanente out here in Pleasanton.
0: And, and what, and so as a case manager, what do you, uh, what are you managing right now? What are the cases that you're managing?
1: So case managers are separate from therapists. We're all licensed therapists. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, I work with psychiatrists, psychologists, and social workers. We're all licensed. And case managers tend to get the severe and persistent mental health problems. So if you have Kaiser and you're going for mental health, you can see a regular therapist. And regular therapists, famously Kaiser, has some issues with trying to get enough bandwidth to get people in to see regular therapists regularly. And it can be quite a gap. Case managers, we have... Because the people we work with are more severe and persistent. That is to say, they have schizoaffective, they have schizophrenia, they have a lot of bipolar. That group needs more attention. They need it sooner, and they need it more consistently. So we can't schedule them. The next one is six weeks out. We'll see them, I'll see somebody twice in a week sometimes. Mm-hmm. So as a case manager, I have a lot more flexibility. I see more severe and persistent uh, mental health problems.
0: And like schizoaffective and, and, and those uh, types of mental health issues, they're, they're experiencing like hallucinations. They're hearing things, seeing things. Is that, is that usually the case? Yes.
1: Well, schizoaffective, is- for example, you will have some thought disorder. You'll have delusions. Um, you'll have um, yeah. And delusions are the most common thing. You might have some paranoia. Those will trigger some emotional response. And so you might find that you become depressed or you become manic or you're hypomanic as a result of these thought disorders. Mm-hmm. or And so we'll work with those people to help help them learn to live with their thought disorders, help them learn to control their moods.
0: Now, so when you say help them live with their thought disorders and control their moods, you know, for for the listeners out there, like, you don't have to be schizoaffective to have thoughts and moods that can sabotage and derail you. Like, the, the oh. average Joe Schmo, we're all struggling with that, right? Absolutely, for all the, the time.
1: And what's really funny is though it's the same techniques. Uh, the same techniques that we use with the, that are drawn from dialectical behavior therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, which DBT?
0: DBT, no, yes. Right, right. Yep.
1: Uh, those techniques work with somebody who has borderline personality disorder. They work with somebody who's struggling with schizoaffective. And they work with somebody who just wants to know how to get along better at work. Mm. And so you read the same book. You, you In fact, everybody uses Marsha Linehan's book to get examples on how to do these things. And it's just how you apply them if you read them casually when you 're about to go to bed or whether you study them four times a week in one of our IOP classes so it's the same techniques they 're really great ideas about how to just get get along better in life
0: so what what are those techniques can you, can you, i know i know i'm sure there's a lot there's tons, but can you give our can you can you give us like a like one or two uh, ones that you know you're you're constantly going back to or uh, that you found to be most effective?
1: Sure. This the book is broken into different things about about different kinds of resiliency. One of my favorite techniques that I work with people is when they're working with relationships to try and decide during whatever conflict or during whatever tough time they're going through to decide what it is they are trying to accomplish in that moment. Are they trying to maintain the relationship? Are they trying to win, or are they trying to get some other goal, some other third goal accomplished?
0: Some other need met. Right.
1: right. So if I'm working with you, and I need to get my project done, and you are being intransigent, and you're just not not seeing it my way, I may decide that I need to keep our relationship together, that it's most important that somehow we find a way that in the end you and I end up going out and having a beer afterwards because we once again have triumphed or it could be that no, it's important this be done this way because this, we have certain external customers and they have to be treated a certain way and that's all they see. And it doesn't matter. And I only see you, you know, three times a year and it's, and it's, not a big deal. Uh, if I step on your toes or somewhere in between. And so by having that kind of clarity about what you're going to do with what you're trying to accomplish with your task, then that tells you what kind of skills you need to bring to bear, what kind of communication skills, um, how much negotiating there needs to be, how much of what there has to be to what we're preserving in that relationship. You know
0: what? That's such a good point because uh, I think a lot of times we get into arguments and we're not even clear on what our goal is. Oh, no. Right? And uh, I had I had a friend of mine the other day said she went into this health food store and uh, and she asked, you know, the health food store had two levels and she went up to the second level where like the homeopathic medicine is and everything. And there was this old Asian lady behind the counter. And she asked the Asian lady, uh, you know, uh, what, if she had any medicine, cause she, she was coming down with a cold and the Asian lady was like, and it has nothing to do with race. I, I don't even know why I said Asian lady, but the lady was like, um, first of all, you're fat. So the lady just called her <laughs> fat right off the bat. But you know, my friend was like, she was like, okay, I can't do anything about that right now, I need, but uh, do you have anything for the cold? <laughs> and I was like, that was such a great way to respond to that because, you know, she couldn't got into an argument and been offended and been like, I'm not fat, and how could you talk to me like that? But she knew what her goal was, and she knew what needs she needed met, and her all she wanted to do was take care of getting her, of getting rid of the cold, and that trumped, you know, being called or whatever, and I think a lot of times in relationships, whether it's at work or personal, we get into these arguments, and we're not clear on, you know, like you said, our is our goal to preserve the relationship? Is it to win the argument, or is there some other need that we're trying to get met? And and when you're not clear on what that is, it it makes thing it can make things uh, definitely worse.
1: Absolutely, and in the case of of meeting this woman who's who's calling you fat, she can also. It, that's an example of where something says to you, something somebody says to you can ruin your day, um, and so you might want to deflect the emotion that comes out of being told you're fat. So, just as a, a side part, the fact that she was had the goal, I need to get my this cold to go away. She could also look a little bit bigger and say, I just need to feel better. I don't need to be derailed by a fight with somebody. I don't need to be derailed about thinking negative thoughts about my weight. So, you could deflect that, let that by, and go, Yep, I am. Um, and by the way, radical acceptance is one of the things that comes out of DBT. And radical acceptance is, is a fabulous tool for just simply not fighting. And it keeps you out of so much, so much stuff. In her case, she probably employed it, said, you are right. I am. I am a fat person who needs to clear up my head congestion. Can you help me?
0: Now, what is radical? Can you go more into that? Because I love, I just love that phrase, and uh, and I understand it on a on a basic level. But can you go more into what uh, you know radical acceptance is?
1: Radical acceptance is amounts to. It's very funny because radical acceptance is related to what amounts to true forgiveness, and it's simply to not fight. It's to stop putting up any kind of defense to an idea, to find a way to to stop deflecting the idea, to stop pushing back against it, to let it, to let the point of view come across or let the moment that you're in or the realization about something that is in your life or the state that your life is in, let that settle in and then start moving from there. So if you look at AA, for example, the first step of AA really amounts, as simple as it is, right, uh, to just quit drinking and move on with your life, The first step of AA is radical acceptance, which is to say you're powerless against Mm -hmm. alcohol and your life has become unmanageable. In that moment, you've done something. I was kidding about it being simple. That itself is almost a life practice for some people to get that right, to be able to stop fighting, to be able to stop pushing, to be able to to stop trying to get things on your own terms, trying to sort of get half and half of something, trying Mm -hmm. to get the gist of something but call it something differently. Mm -hmm. Radical acceptance... Is to simply just stop trying to do that.
0: You know what's beautiful about I was just thinking about this is because I, 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 I struggle with my weight a lot since playing football I used to be two seventy five and my weight still goes up and down and I, I recognize that I I have the thought also of like I'm fat I'm overweight I'm bloated I feel heavy you know even though like I'm uh, to most people like I'm I look in, like I'm in great shape but it's just that thought of because I have an expectation of how I should look, mm-hmm. and what I realize is there is there is truly something powerful about saying, you know, uh, I'm a few pounds overweight or whatever, and then being like, all right, so wh- what do I do now? You know, it's like instead of fighting it, like, because usually my my thought is like I want to lose weight. That's We're usually thinking in the future. We're usually, mm-hmm. and, and I think when we have that future talk or that future thought of, I want to lose weight, I want to get rich, We're that takes us out of the present moment, and we're not accepting and looking at and managing where we are now versus saying, mm-hmm. right now I'm 10 pounds overweight, what do I do with right now versus I want to lose weight, and then and then you're just wishing and there's there's nothing else.
1: You're wishing uh, there, the shoulds come in, I should not be eating this, I should mm. go out and, and turn Pleasanton upside down looking for healthy food, I should do this, I should do that. To accept that, yes, I'm 10 pounds heavier. Today is 10 pounds heavier. Um, and I need to go eat. And I have limited time. And that's not going to change. And no matter what I do, sort of sign something off, I'm going to be somewhere around 10 pounds heavier when I go to sleep tonight. Those kind of... I should point out, by the way, that one of the keys to, di- to DBT is the word and. that And the whole idea of the dialectic, which is to accept that two things can exist in the same time and space and that we're seemingly in opposition. That is the key to dialectics. So the dialectic says that I am overweight and I'm going to eat today and I'm going to make some changes about this and these are what those changes are going to be. So and is very powerful. For some reason, and this is in all walks of life and it's incredibly important, In public conversation, and it's incredibly important in just daily dealing with people, is to try and inject and in place of "or," Because a lot of times, people make their lives setting up false choices, an or situation, when in fact, it doesn't have to be or. There are a lot of flavors of and that work, where things work in conjunction, they work in succession, they work in parallel, and the solution works that way. That, you, that everything is not a little war between two things. If you look on TV and you look at game shows, it's always one over the other. So A or B. Mm. And it's it's sort of built into our consciousness that it has to be A or B. That works in relationships too. That works into how we look at our life and say, I can either eat this or not. It's like, how about I eat a little bit of that? and And I feel better and I'm doing less damage. We call that harm reduction. And we work with that with substances because a lot of times the or, which is either you're drinking or you're not, um, doesn't work for some people. Uh, we find that a lot with people who use marijuana because it helps them get over anxiety. The And works when we use harm reduction. We say you can have, say, let's say we cut your marijuana by two thirds or a half today, and you get to use marijuana and you're using less of it. And let's see what your Anxiety it looks like after we try that, then, and that's that's a lot easier to manage for someone's life than. Or either you cut it out right now, or I'm not going to work with you on this anymore.
0: The, it, that rings true to me. When I went I went hiking this morning. and did this 12.2 mile uh, loop. Well, I forget the name, the Cordette. Ridge or whatever—it's like ten minutes from here.
1: It's exercise. I would
0: not. I love it. And uh, speaking of Ant, and I remember thinking, uh, you know, something happened a few days ago, and I was processing it, and some emotions came up, and uh, and as I was processing my emotions, I was like, I was like, man, that you know what that person said really hurt, and then I and then I thought. And I also felt embarrassed, mm-hmm. and I also felt angry, and I kept ending my emotions, mm-hmm. working through it and and then you know, I was often thinking about you know what movie I was going to see or you know like you know like my brains just start wandering off in other places, but it helped me process through and work through the emotions, I think, like you said, a lot of times we you know, you ask somebody how they feel and they give you one emotion and there's usually five or ten under there.
1: Did you notice after you'd gone through, after you'd ended in enough of those emotions that some of the energy behind that whole thing just disappeared? Absolutely. It's because you got hurt. It's something, a trick you can, when you're doing therapy with somebody, if they keep returning to the same thing, and this works not just in therapy, this works in arguments, this works with relatives, this works everywhere in your life. If someone keeps coming back to something, then they're not done with it, and you need to explore more. So, if it's an aunt who keeps telling you the same story, if it's some other relative who keeps telling you the same story every time they see you, if it's a wife or a husband or a a significant other of some definition who keeps coming back to the same thing, if they keep coming back to it, then. They, they enter, their energy is not discharged. They're not being heard. That's, that is a signal for you to listen better. When this person feels heard, then it will stop. You won't have to stop it. You can't stop it. That's why they keep coming back. What you're doing is not working. But as soon as they feel heard, they will stop.
0: It's true. It, you know, It's like when you get in an argument with someone, and then you really get to the meat of it. The truth of it, then there's silence.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, there's
0: man. this. You could hear a pin drop, even yes. in stand up on stage. <laughs> you know, sometimes I'll, I'll talk about things, and I know I'm really getting to the truth of of what it is because the, it's just it's dead silent in a room. Yes, Yes, all the energy's gone. Yes. Yep. They they've given into it. The now, let me ask you this because we've talked about like what to say. How do we? How do how do you listen? Because so I was at um, I was I was at Whole Foods yesterday mm-hmm. and I heard these two women. They spent at least 20, 30 minutes talking about how their husbands can't communicate. <laughs> and what I've noticed is that a lot of people will say that, you know, a lot of couples, my husband can't get my wife is a, is a horrible communicator. And we usually stop at that word communication and -hmm. we never get more specific. Can can you can you speak to that? Have you what like when people say my spouse can't communicate, what are they really saying? I'm not being heard. I'm not being heard.
1: Yes. So that's and that's. Interesting, one of the things about listening, that's another use of radical acceptance, is to, because a lot of times when we listen, we're attempting to judge, and we're attempting, we do guide listening, which is where we essentially metaphorically put our hand up and say, I've heard enough, thank you, I will now tell you how to fix this. That's not listening. Or we just... We're parrying off things. We're trying to correct things. You, you says, you'll say something to me. I'll find a tiny little piece of it that needs to be corrected so you're saying it correctly. I'll come back. That's, that's rejecting what you said. So now you're going to have to start over, um, even, even possibly saying the same thing because you're determined to deliver that message that way. So in short, the way you listen through those things is to truly listen, stop correcting, get rid of your agenda, and just make sure that you're doing everything you can to draw out of the other person everything they want to say about the subject. When they do that, when you do that, that person will feel heard. And when they feel heard, it's almost an awkward moment because then the energy's gone and the question is, well, now what do we do? Mm. Because what we're really good at is conflict. We're really good at pushing each other off and correcting each other. Once everybody's heard, the energy's gone. Now we have to... You realize in that moment... If you were trying to work on something, that would be the moment then you could start saying, well, what do we do now? You've just uh, you've told me this. You've told me how the things I do bother you. The things that I do are hurtful to you. The things that I do diminish you. I've heard you. You feel like I've heard you. Now what? And that's a magic moment. That's when you can move together and rationally solve things.
0: Right, and especially using that word we versus... Me, what do you want me to do? That's I think that's what most people say. All right, what what do you want me to do? I'll do whatever you tell me to do. You know, or you know, we say you you should do this, but saying we makes it sound more collaborative and teamwork, because it's it's about us, it's not about one person or the other. It's about us and how we move forward.
1: Absolutely. And what you just, if you listen to what you just said, that says that a lot of the way we frame what we hear is as a demand or request that we accomplish something or change something. It's not talking about how the other person is affected. It is, it's a work order for us. And the question is, what do I do with this work order? It says put in the door, but it doesn't say where. Mm. Um, that's how we view a lot of communication. Mm. So that's, that's not, how, it's not a good way to approach conflict.
0: How, When you say draw it out the other person, how do you do that? Do you just say, you know, one of the techniques I've learned was just to keep asking, "What else are you feeling?"
1: Reflecting actually is is a great way.
0: And what does that look like?
1: Reflecting is simply to say back to the other person what they just said to you.
0: Now, doesn't that like you know I like can't that get kind of like you're just saying back what I just you know is like I'm hurt. Oh, you're hurt. You're hurt. And is it's like is is there a way to do that or when you say so like if I if I said to you. You know, uh, uh, you know. I'm upset that you left all the dishes in the sink.
1: You're upset I left the dishes in the sink.
0: Yeah, and I and there's a person go. <laughs> is that what I just? Isn't that what I just said? Or um,
1: and you'll say yes, you just said that. I, yeah, I think that's what I heard. And so once when you get that right, when 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 you manage to reflect accurately, yeah, the energy is gone. Right. When I said that to you just now. It was an accurate reflection that, and really, it was gone. The energy was right, gone. There was right. no more to talk about there.
0: Right, right, right. You know, it what was interesting. Is I, I, I was like, oh, that caught me off guard. <laughs> right. I was like, oh, because you, you know, because the other thing you did in there is uh, you labeled the emotion. Because mm-hmm. I was like, you know, uh, I was, you know, you you, did, you didn't do the dishes. I'm upset. Right. And then you lay, you repeated back the emotion, which I think is is big. Right. Yes. Now. Y-
1: Oh, and that's another thing you should do, by the way, is be fearless about this. Feel free. Hang on.
0: He's cutting off his cell phone, ladies and gentlemen. So A little behind the scenes. Be fearless. Be fearless. Be, in, fearless. be
1: fearless in your reflections. It's okay to make mistakes, because every time you make even in the most critical moments when I've been counseling people who want to kill themselves, who are extremely upset or delusional Maybe hallucinating. They will correct me if I make a mistake. If I misreflect to them, and they say, "Well, I, I think this and this and this," and I will get it wrong, they will. They'll come back and they'll correct me. They're determined that they want to be heard and they want to be understood. So that works in all relationships. So if I had said, "You don't like the way I do the dishes," and it was a misreflection of what you said. You would come back to me. You would naturally come back to me and repeat it. You will give me a chance naturally to get it right. Mm-hmm. So be fearless. Name emotions. Because if you misname it and say, <sighs> you're miffed, and you say, no, I'm not miffed. I'm furious. Right. And we'll we'll hone in on just exactly what the right emotional word is. And so you don't have to get it right. There is no pressure to get it right. There is only pressure to be participating.
0: There's only pressure to be participating. Yeah yeah because there's because that's exactly what those two women said yesterday they were like he just walks away you know like it, it, the 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 argument gets too big and then they they were complaining about how the guy either stonewalls or walks away or leaves and then he comes back later and they were like why can't he just stay why can't he just stay in the fight stay in the battle you know stay participating i love yeah. that word participating the now what got you into the mental health realm. Because uh, I know before we talked about, like you said you had struggles with depression at some point. Can you speak more to that?
1: I did, but that's not what got me into it. Oh, it was, wow. Interestingly, it was something that came up while I was in it. Um, and it was a trigger to move into it more deeply. But I started out doing Suicide in Crisis when I was doing project management for Apple. And it was just was not exciting enough. And so I wanted to do something. I found that I was really drawn to this, um, oddly because of being an RA in college. And I learned the basic counseling skills there, and I loved them. And it turned out I was one of these people who would show up at a party, and people would corner me, and, and I would listen to them for hours. Mm. So it, I, I'm a good listener. Right. So that came out. got the training. did suicide for God, t- probably a total of 30-some-odd years. But I was with Suicide and Crisis Services down in Santa Clara Valley for 14 years. Um, just volunteering at night on this crisis line. When finally I had some career stuff happen and just figured I could not go on anymore in that career, Mm -hmm. then that's when the situational depression hit. And I saw a counselor. And Bonnie, my counselor, didn't do much magical. She just listened really, really, really well. And she made it okay just for me to be going through what I was going through. And by listening... Eventually, I can't even tell you what she did, that suddenly I felt like in two different occasions a 50-pound backpack was lifted off my back. The only way I can describe it is I literally physically felt lighter. And I can't to this day tell you what changed, but I was different. Both times I was transformed. And so at some point then, while I'm deciding what I wanted to do, after whether I really wanted to go back into computer work, or whether I wanted to just cut loose from that thing, I rem- I remembered that, and said, "No, this is what I'd rather be doing. This was a powerful thing, and I want I want that skill. I want to be able to do that."
0: And 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 that that fifty pound backpack that was lifted, mm-hmm. was there any prescription meds involved in that? None. It, it was just her ability to listen. Yep. And
1: over time, my mind had become quieter, uh, because your mind running through things, and this happens, so many people have noisy minds, and the therapy helped with the noisy mind, and that was one of the backpacks that got lifted, was the self-persecution, the the labeling, the, just the, the self-denigration that was going on, when that finally, at some point, I became accepting of me, and that's when the first backpack, I think, lifted. And that was just through straight therapy, straight talk therapy.
0: You know, w- what I just realized is powerful about what you said. You said uh, accepting of me. Mm-hmm. And I think so many of us are trying to change me. Mm-hmm. We're always in a, I'm, I'm working on this, I'm, I'm working on me, I have to, I have to I'm going to get to, and it's like, it, 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 accept who you are first, because even when you make the change, the change won't be enough because you'll be always just in this constant state of trying to change things. Mm -hmm. And how long were you in therapy for?
1: It probably took a couple of years of really intense therapy, but I only saw her ever once a week. Once a week. It was very rare if I saw her twice a week. Uh Um, So it was, it wasn't even that intensive. It's just that I found someone who was, who was just very good at it. She was a very good listener. she, got me. She would reflect back. The things I remember most importantly that would happen during those times was just what we went through with the reflection, where I was just amazed that somebody had heard me and was accepting of what I was thinking. She wasn't trying to change me. She wasn't saying, Chris, this and this happened because this This is what you need to change. I was doing plenty of work on that on myself. What she had to do was help me accept myself so I could think more clearly. and I, I solved the problems.
0: Wow, you solved the problems. Yeah. So there, there was no, there were no tricks, no magic formulas. Any homework assignments? Anything that she worked? I, I've been to therapy, and they've given me worksheets and. Yes. Th- were there, there was homework.
1: No, there wasn't for me. No. But you probably went through cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah. Yes. So cognitive behavioral therapy is that's how you know you're in it is you're getting homework, um, and that's you really the the homework frankly is is only to get you used to the idea of doing of thought chains and of associations and that that certain thoughts come up with certain, uh, you'll have certain thoughts that will be followed on by certain thoughts, which will follow on by certain emotions. And the goal of cognitive behavioral therapy is to redirect these thought errors. So an example of the thought error, this always happens to me. Um, It doesn't always happen to you. How do you challenge that? So once you detect those kinds of thought errors, that's what the homework's about in cognitive behavioral therapy is to catch those things. If you can just keep them in your head and catch them in the moment, you don't need to do the homework. You just have to be aware that that's what you're doing. It's handy to carry the 13 kinds of... There's a little list of 13 kinds of thought errors around. Sometimes it's fun to...
0: Do you know them off the top of your head?
1: No, I don't.
0: (laughs) Can can you share, like, two or three? Uh, Sure. The all always and...
1: Well, yes, so black and white thinking is, is... By far, one of the most powerful. Um, Another one related to that is catastrophization. Uh Uh, When you catastrophize, you have this chain. This you run through this chain of what's going to happen. Well, I'm going to be late for this. Well, I'm going to be late for this. This person's going to yell at me. When he yells at me, then I'm going to do this. And you just go down this chain of how everything's going to unravel. Mm -hmm. And so that's a thought error to think that this chain is going to happen. Right. One is mind reading to know that when you look at me, I know what they're thinking. I know they don't like me. They're not liking me.
0: Do it all the time when we go to parties, social events, you know, because uh, I, so, I have social anxiety. Like, it's, like, I know I'm in, like, the wrong profession, but uh, actually a lot of comedians, Alonzo Bowden will tell you the same thing. Like, you know, where we, most comics love uh, performing in front of groups, but we don't necessarily want to be a part of the group. <laughs> right, yeah. like, like I, like I love performing in front of people. I love being on stage. I love it. I have no desire to then hang out with everyone. Like, there's some comics who will like, hey guys, we'll do we'll have a party at the. So I have zero desire. Oh yeah, to carry it on uh, beyond the show. Besides the one on one, I love one on one, small group interactions, intimate interactions. But a large group extended, like when I go to a party, two hours max, you know, and that's part, like partly I'm introverted also. Yeah. And so like being around a group of people for a very long time is is, uh, uh, exhausting uh, energetically. And it's something that I'm just now discovering in my 30s. I always thought something was wrong with me as a kid because my friends would always love to go to parties and stay out all night. And I'd always show up late and leave early. Yep. And I was like the oddball, you know, but I was like, oh, it's just, you know, it's my temperament.
1: You're lucky, though, you left early because I was talking with a client a couple of days ago about his alcohol consumption. And he didn't leave early. And we were talking about the alcohol use. And we discovered that really the alcohol use was to something to fill the time and space while he was at parties because he was bored and he was introverted. Didn't mm-hmm. want to talk to people, didn't want to miss the party, would stand there with a beer in his hand all night. Drinking it, sipping away at it before he knows that he's drunk. Um, he wasn't. His problem is not that he is addicted to alcohol. His problem is that he is. He has this bottle of beer in his hand in this party situation. Doesn't know what to do with it. And, and he's
0: bored out of his mind. Yeah. You know, one of the things I've done to uh, to manage that is because I had a, I, there was a girl I was dating, and she asked me. She was like, "Do you bore easily?" And I realize I do. I do. I bore so easily and um and I, I realize so like when I go to parties or meet people for the first time, I immediately go into big talk. I have no room for small talk. Yeah. I I have two seconds for small talk and then if we're not talking about big ideas or something that's uh cerebrally stimulating, I'm I'm zoned out. I have I I can't sports, blah blah blah. But if you want to talk about like good versus great or, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, solutions for gun control, you know, like the big ideas. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I love ideas and I love when people connect different dots or if I learn something, if you're teaching me something, I'm like, oh, I never, I never knew that or that, you know, that's, that's fascinating. So if it's not fascinating or interesting, you know, I, I zone out. And so, but I've learned to also, uh, be fearless in initiating that kind of because I think a lot of us think in social situations and interactions we have to come in with the small talk mm-hmm. and we're just small talking ourselves oh the weather and it's just like ah oh. I, I give it because I understand and there you there's a need for that mm-hmm. right. But let's we we you better have something. That's why, like when I was talking to your wife, and she was like, "He did this." Immediately, my my brain was lighting up. All the little sensors and you know parts of my brain were just. I was like, "Oh man, I can't wait to talk to this guy" because I knew it was gonna be, I was gonna learn and 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 have something valuable to share with the listeners. It's funny
1: that my wife and I are actually terrible party attendees. We mm. realize we don't go to parties now because. We know that we would spend the entire time talking to ourselves.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you and your wife been married?
1: We've been... We're... April 8th will be our 20th wedding anniversary. Wow. Yeah. But we knew each other in college. We uh-huh. had a... We dated in college. And then we took a little 14-year
0: break. And... Intentionally, or you just your career paths went different?
1: We... I was... I was... A hall coordinator. I was spending all my time with the dorm, yeah. and she was going to law school. And so we just grew apart and finally said, let's break up. And then 14 years later, I had reason to call her because she was an attorney. I had a legal question. Mm-hmm. I was looking for a referral for something. and It just so happened that, that she was ending her marriage. And so we got back together and just picked up where we were. But wow. better because we had some experience
0: there. Right, right. Like, you had life experiences. You had things to bring back to the relationship. How old were you when you guys got back together?
1: Um, 20 years ago. So I'm 58 now, so 38. Yeah. That's a great age. We like to think that we took out growing up on other people. <laughs> 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 yeah. All right. And then, so you guys were married. You said 28 years. No, 20 years. 20, 20 years. Yeah. But we've, been, we've known each other since I was... Uh, 19. She was 21.
0: What? You know, I just listened to Esther Perel. Yes, who's right? wonderful. Wonderful, oh, right? She's fabulous. She's, but- I listened to both her books. I listened to, if you don't know who Esther Perel is, uh, she's like the modern day Dr. Ruth.
1: But better because but- she doesn't have some of the, the Esther is a, more of a pure practitioner than Dr. Ruth was. Right,
0: absolutely, right. Yeah, what what was Dr. Ruth, anyway, when I think about it?
1: I don't know. She was not a mental health practitioner, though. Esther is.
0: Wow. Now, let me ask you this, because you're a fan of of Esther Perel. Have yes. you have you read her books or, or listened to her talks? I
1: subscribe to her, her weekly thing. I read her papers that they come out once a okay. week. I've heard her talk a couple times on the radio, and I've loved her.
0: And she talks a lot about infidelity and how, uh, and, uh, and, and, like, the new monogamy of, of 2019, how we need to open up that dialogue. Is there anything from Esther Perel that um, you or has made you look at your marriage and relationship differently? Or is it just, or anything that's validated your thoughts and ideas that you and your wife share?
1: Nothing comes to mind right now. Got I know that, that the times I've heard it, my wife and I have both been sitting in the car listening. So, and nodding a lot, but I can't think of them. One gotcha. thing that, that comes to
0: mind. Now, what, what to, is there a current, is there, what's the biggest challenge in your relationship right now? You know, people talk about passion. You know, 20, 20 years, people go, oh, the passion, the, the kids, the, the lovemaking, the we don't travel, we don't see, like, time. Like, what, is there, is there a challenge that you and your wife have right now or, ha- or have had that you've worked through? The things that,
1: not that many, that's the funny part, is right. we are extremely compatible. Time, I, I got to say, our personal styles of doing things doesn't, don't leave time for touching and intimacy. And so that is a trap, that if your personal style has you coming in and sitting at separate ends of the couch and watching television and you're not cuddling, um, that's a problem. Right. You need to to be in physical contact with each other every day. You yeah. have to make a point of it, and you cannot wait for the other person to do it. Mm. You have to come up and demonstrate some kind of affection every day with people.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and so is that, is that what you guys are right now? like is more like TV or are you are you guys
1: she well she she works as an attorney. she comes home and wants to get over having worked. I come right. home, frankly, it doesn't take anything out of me to work. I, mm. I put in a 12 hour day and I'm not tired. Right. Because right. I'm doing the right work.
0: Yeah, right.
1: <sighs> She's doing the right work for her, but it's just, it takes more out, more out of her uh, because of this, the legal environment. is just sort of personally taxing to work in.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And so
1: she comes home and wants to dec- decompress. Yeah. I frankly want to switch modes and read the paper. Mm. And so there's a real opportunity for us to not engage. Right. And then on top of that, the physics of the whole moment, the way the fact that, that she's got her corner of the couch, I've got where mm. I'm sitting. Yeah. It doesn't lead naturally to to cuddling. You have to make an effort. Yes. And so you have to look at look at the, the choreography of your day and see, do you naturally come in contact with each other?
0: Wow, the choreography of your day. Yeah. You you know what's uh what I love about what you said is I recently have realized like my idea of decompression and relaxing at the end of the day has changed mm-hmm. because for me, it, it was the coming home, sitting down in front of the you know, plopping down on the couch, cutting on the TV, uh, you know, eating some food mindlessly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, taking a shower, going to bed, you know, you're, of course, you're scrolling, you got your cell phone in your hand and you're scrolling through and checking mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And I'm just now like very recently realizing that that actually causes me more tension. Right. Boy, yeah, now. Because the, the point of television, the point of a movie, the point of a, of a, of a TV series is to create tension. And then release it. It's tension, release, tension, release. Yeah. So you're never relaxed. But, y- y- yeah, you're, you're kind of mindless and, and whatever, but you're not relaxed. You're, you're zoned out. You're maybe numb, mm-hmm. but it's not relaxed, which is a different thing. And so now I've, I'm making it more of a practice to, uh, when I come home at the end of the evening, I run a bath. And it's such a small thing. I used to be like, man, I'm a man. I don't take baths. But what (laughs) I've learned is that because it takes the bath about 10 minutes to fill, it -hmm. takes time. All of a sudden, my brain starts thinking about other self-care things to do. So while the bath is running, I'll put on some tea. I'll uh, get my clothes ready for the next day. Mm -hmm. I'll stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll write out, you know, I don't know if I said plan for the next day, things like that. So I go into this self-care mode, and it's mm-hmm. all triggered by running the bath and, and or making tea. There's something about having something else going. Mm-hmm. And then I go, well, while that's going, I need to do these other things. Mm-hmm. If I come home and I cut the TV on, that, self, that, that triggers a self-destructive path. And so it's been interesting to me to see just how much, like you said, the choreography of my evening affects the, 10, the next ten things that I do. Yeah. Do I run the bath or do I cut on the TV? And then it becomes this whole crap show.
1: When you're doing that, by the way, when you come home at the end of the day, you're not being listened to. Because the TV is, has its hand up in your face yeah. the entire time saying, don't think your own thoughts. Mm. Think my thoughts now. Mm. And so you're actually building a backlog of stuff that you need to process that you're not getting to process. When, you, when you're running the bath and you have this unstructured time, then your mind gets to – there's probably all sorts of things. If you were watching, if you're listening and watching of what's going through your head that you are just little bubbles bursting of things that you need to resolve – to feel comfortable and move on to the next day, because you made space for that, it happens naturally. You don't need to draw it out through some sort of. Some people do. Some people want to. Some people respond really well to formal rituals. They want to do their their yoga. They want to do their meditation.
0: Mm-hmm. Other
1: people just need to have unstructured time when they're not processing, and their mind will sort of naturally fizz up and bubbles will pop.
0: Mm-hmm. But, but we get we're afraid of those thoughts and those ideas, and 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 then. But, but, they, but they're still there, and at some point they're going to surface, and when they do, uh, you're in trouble, you know?
1: Yeah, well, a lot of times those thoughts are self-critical thoughts. They're things that we want to work on that we're not. Yeah. We push them back down again. Um, we're doing the or thing where either I have to do it right now or I just have to ignore it. Uh, we, we're not doing and and saying, wow, that's still going on, and taking it on and realizing you're not going to solve it in the moment end of this process and just thinking about it eventually will, your mind will come to a solution if you just keep giving it some bandwidth and accept it
0: so what do you and your wife do to connect you you're not getting much of the physical uh, at the end of the work day or what are the what are the ways that you do you two do uh, get that oxytocin
1: um we both like really funny because the times when we are most connected we're we first of all we just like spending time together so we are we have empty weekends we do not work during the weekends mm-hmm. something i can't say never sometimes she'll have a report due or i'll be behind the notes mm-hmm. and we'll have to do that kind of stuff but generally first of all we make each other we give the weekend time to each other and when we had alex at home that's her step my stepdaughter her daughter um that was harder it's harder when you have kids in the house right And so then you have to make an extra effort to to make just to carve out time. Um, We bond around our dogs. (coughs) Mm -hmm. We enjoy that, but it's really funny. The dogs are also um, also a distancing thing. If you playing with the dog is also a way of putting emotional distance between you and somebody else. So you have to be careful you're not doing that. That you truly are bonding over the dogs, not using the dogs uh, as a blocker so that you don't have to talk. Wow.
0: Yeah, I just I just broke up with this girl recently because she had a dog and I and I kept having a reoccurring thought that this dog is putting space between us, like she like she, it was it was like preventing her from getting close to me for whatever reason. I was Absolutely. just like I, I I was like I don't want to be in this triangulation of your relationship question and 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 it's gonna be putting us. Pete Davidson recently said. Um, that he doesn't want to be on this earth anymore, and he he's talked about his struggle with Pete Davidson. He's on SNL, and uh, and he's talked about his struggle with depression and uh, suicidal ideation. Mm-hmm. And he said he doesn't want to. What's the uh, what's the response to that? Because and I bring it up because there are parents who have children who will say they want to kill themselves or don't want to be on this earth anymore. But w- specifically, what's the re- response to a Pete Davidson saying? I don't want to be on this earth anymore. You, you, you reflect. You re- just repeat it back. Or-
1: you do. You have to be fearless, though. When you're talking about suicide, there are a couple things you want to do. One is to talk about suicide. You never talk about doing something stupid. You don't talk about doing something rash. We don't talk about any kind of euphemism. Hmm. You have to look people in the eye, sit down, say, this is serious. I think I just heard you say you want to kill yourself. Is that true? Hmm. Do you want to die? And say it in a flat way. Don't make it loaded and don't don't make them saying, yes, I want to die an unacceptable answer. Because whenever you block communication about this, by the way you ask the question, <clears throat> you're not really conversing. They're not being heard mm-hmm. and they're alone. The way we look at suicidal thought is, I learned this from Mark Antonucci who used to teach the suicide and crisis group down in, in Santa Clara County. Um, is that this person, the person who's thinking about suicide, is at the bottom of a deep, deep well. And they can see up at the top, they see this itty-bitty speck of light, and that's where the world is. As a suicide counselor, and as someone who's talking with someone about suicide, even if you're a relative or friend, whatever, what you're doing is you're throwing a rope over that edge, you're climbing down that rope, and you're sitting at the bottom of the hole with them. And you're experiencing with them what it's like to be at the bottom of that hole. Mm. That itself is a cure. It's curative to have that person down there with you in the hole. It's it, that
0: idea of meeting them where they are. Absolutely, I've heard right. That's yeah. that's really powerful because uh, I've had parents after shows tell me that you know their kid has expressed that and uh, and. And they have this look of being at a loss of what to say and how to communicate. Because
1: and- they think they're trying to have to solve it. Um, if you have kids who are actively cutting on themselves, mm. which is a whole a control issue, it's not a desire, usually not a desire to kill yourself, it's a desire to control yourself or to, to diminish pain by having, having another pain that covers it up. People feel they need to do something right away about it. And sometimes you do. And that's why you you call and you have people evaluated. Mm-hmm. Um, but other times, what you really have to do is, is make space and join this person in whatever they're feeling and not feel like you have to convey, well, it's time, we're done, are you better? But just to be with them. Because, again, people will heal themselves given the opportunity. It's just that being
0: alone is so... Hard. it's that's true because you only know what's good you know what's good for you you know what you need to do at the in your heart Mm -hmm. and um and nobody nobody if you if you and if you take time to listen right if we if we cut out the distractions the tv and put down a cell phone and really start to listen to ourselves, we'll we'll get to the truth. It's just we do want to feel like a lot of us are waiting for permission,
1: mm-hmm. right? Yes,
0: that's that's a that's a very powerful thing. The when you worked at the suicide hotline, what are reasons that people don't? I've read somewhere that like fifty percent of people who complete suicide have never made the phone call. Oh yeah, that's what, the
1: scariest crowd. It's what do you mean? Can you can you?
0: It's, it's scary as crap.
1: No, that's the scariest crowd for us. Because the people... I have a client who, when we talk to her about... What I, there's a psychiatrist at work. She and I both talk to this client. And we say... Lori, are you going to... That's not her real name. <laughs> 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 Lori, are, you know, do you feel like killing yourself? And she'll look us in the eye and say... I'm not going to tell you if I'm going to kill myself. If I'm going to kill myself, I'm going to kill myself. So, that's the that's that 50% crowd you're talking about. Mm. She's not going to make a call to the crisis line. She doesn't need someone to talk her out of it. She knows in her mind what her limits are and when at which point she's going to she thinks she's going to to be done and say I just want to die. And so, those are the scariest people for us because they don't give us a warning. They don't give us a chance to talk to them about thought errors and say, is, do you really want to die? Is this your goal, is to stop? And then if someone really wants to die, then we walk them through dying. Often that uh, is enough to, to get people to, to rethink the possibility. But again. What do you mean walk them through dying? We say, tell me now, how are you going to do it? And I we say, well, I'm going to shoot myself. So it was like, tell me. So tell me about the gun. Tell me about the bullets. Tell me about everything about that moment, about how you're going to pick this thing up. And then we walk them through, so what are you going to do? And we get them through the point where I say, well, I'm going to point the gun to my head. And I said, then what's going to happen? And then I said, well, I'm going to pull the trigger. I'm going to feel the trigger in, in, you know, in my finger. And then I'm going to blank out. And we say, and then what? Well, I'm going to be dead. It's like, okay, so you're dead. Now what happens? Well, they're going to find me. Who's going to find you? And we say, well, um, I don't know, my mom's going to find me. It's like, good, so tell me about your mom finding you now. Walk up the stairs. You're, you're your mom now. Your mom walks up the stairs. She's looking for you. What's on her mind? And we walk through that kind of thing. So what we do is we bring people into the reality of what they're thinking about and try and take take the... The spontaneity out of it and walk through all the ramifications of what they're doing. Um, and I picked gun because that's the one that ends most abruptly for the person. Right. So then we switch with that one to what's, so your mom opens the door. What is your mom? And we go with that. Sometimes they're like, oh God, I do not want to do that to my mom. That might be, that might cut off that possibility. If it's pills, we say, okay, so you're you're taking the pills. You've taken the pills. Now what? And we say, well, I'm getting a drowsy. So, so tell me what you're thinking as you realize that this may be your last thought. And we walk them through that. And they go, well, that's uncomfortable. I don't feel comfortable with that either. And so a lot of times by going deeply into this stuff and being very real with per- people,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's when they can understand that they have sort of an aversion to it. And they don't want to follow it through. And then we say, that moment, that's the moment then when we say, okay, well, that's fine then what is another option and we go with that
0: the, the the visualization and and walking it through is is a very powerful thing for people and is there
1: you got to take your time it, you really have to take your time at that you don't just gloss it over you have to that's a very time consuming process to do with people nice and slow mm-hmm. so that they don't gloss it over
0: is there another visualization technique like you know, it's like you're 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 walking them through dying. Is there is there a technique where you're walking them through living, yes, so to speak?
1: So what we what what we do, early on in, in a crisis call, we'll we'll listen to people's reasons for dying, and we'll say these are the reasons I want to die, and then you'll you walk them through. Reasons to live. And this is high up in the call. This is, if you're down to talking about ways, uh, the actual way of dying, then you've gotten way past the, the reasons to live and the reasons to die. You're down to someone who is, is determined to die. Um, but earlier on, it's much easier to talk about reasons to live. And you can find all sorts of reasons to live if, you, if you're born to things. And that's one of the reasons that we use And and not or. Because with and, it's a lot easier to find reasons to live. Because then you start pointing out that it's not a trade-off. I have enormous pain. I have incredible embarrassment. I have I feel completely isolated. And I really enjoy milkshakes. And I am really going to miss not knowing what happens next to my friends. Mm-hmm. And I really am going to miss my dog. And so when you start using and, it's really easy to build, uh, to build up on the reasons to live and realize it's not an or proposition.
0: I I, I love that the uh, the reasons to live. I keep a list of reasons to live. I, I well, I call it like before you kill yourself. It's like yes, you know, which is the name of this part of why you know I started the podcast I, because. I I was realizing like y'all would have these thoughts about wanting to complete suicide and then you know I would remember something that I really wanted to do like hike the Grand Canyon or Ooh. see Bad Boys 3 <laughs> and but you know like you said when you're at the bottom of the well you see a very small light and and yes. and uh it's and so by writing it down it 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 um it makes the the the, the depth of the well not as deep and it makes yeah. the light at the top a little brighter and it it keeps the reminders of like, oh yeah, I want to do that, and I, I want to go check out that restaurant, or you know, I have a nine year old nephew. Me and him, mm-hmm. we share the same birthday, and I want to see how he grows and develops. And it's like so keeping that list of your ands, uh, because it, you it's, it's surprising how you can when you when you are in those moments, you just you forget the the people who love you. You forget um, the, all like on this hiking trail today. There was, you know, I, I was walking past a different amount of people. And it was one person I got a little weird energy from. And, and so, of course, that's where all my energy went to, was like that. But then I, you know, my brain went to, you know what, Leo? Count the number of people who said hi to you and made you feel good. And then I was I started remembering people who I forgotten because I was so focused on this one person. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there was even one lady along the hike who... Uh, was like, you're doing a great job. You're halfway there. <laughs> like just, you know, and I wasn't struggling or anything. It was just her energy and her love and yeah. you know where she was. And, you know, we forget sometimes uh the 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 people who love us and the people who have seen us and the people who have heard us. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, you know, you just go, Oh, there's nobody out there, and you go, Oh, wait, that person was and then sometimes we push them away. Sometimes we feel like we're not worthy of the love. And so when people do try to love you and try to, uh, listen to you, you know, we sh- we push them away or put up a wall or, uh, feel like we're being selfish, uh, in some type of way for, uh, taking up their time. Like, mm-hmm. like Oh, I shouldn't waste your time with this is something I have to deal with.
1: Yeah. The, I, there are a couple of things I got lost in, in the okay. end of that. I'm sorry. That's no, all good. Um, the it's easy with the black and white thinking to forget all the stuff that you just talked about black and white thinking says i have i'm i'm bothered by this this has to be where my mind is and allows you that woman to you do remember that woman who was telling you that you were halfway to your destination and you can still think this guy was really crummy to me i think he frowned at me i don't think he likes me <laughs> um <coughs> Which, of course, may or may not be a thought. Of Remember, sometimes you're right. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, not everything you think that's bad is wrong. So, um, but there was room for and there. So, Ann is if there's anything that's the most powerful thing that will help people through, through thinking that they have to end their life, through thinking that life is not going to get better, through thinking that this is it, that this is the, the one thing that, um, that causes change, it's and. Mm. And changes your life. And keeps your life open.
0: Mm.
1: There's always room for something else if and is what you're
0: doing. And so is there, is there uh, anything you are, have a challenge with right now, personally? That you that you like. So, are you still in therapy, or you is that behind you? I go occasionally. I check in with her. There's yes. For what what bores in?
1: I you can hook me. Certain ways, certain work environments, certain work situations will still hook me, and I will feel compelled to go put on the cape and come and save the day. And (laughs) if you applaud while I'm doing that, then I will bust my butt and work myself into a pit trying to save the day when in reality is I can't save the day. It shouldn't be up to me to save any day. Mm -hmm. And it's always better if I work collaboratively with people. But there's a part of my personality that still will will fall for that. And when I do that and then it starts to go bad, I think that more work, harder work, longer work fixes that. So that's that's my that's a weakness in how I work.
0: And you you think part of that comes from uh, is that like you modeling like one of your family members and and how their work and and what they've done?
1: That came out of my childhood where mm. I was applauded for having been a person who could do things. And so it, I just figured that by doing more and doing better uh, leads to more applause. Mm. So that's that's a mistake on my part. And so the way around that for me is to put myself in environments where that's not likely to happen. If I if I was to, as a career, keep putting myself in a position where I was hiring into the Superman position, then I eventually would put myself under doing that. I can't be trusted with that. I just don't do it.
0: And, and that's smart, too, is you know I had a, a, a podcast episode where I talked about how your environment, you know, uh, influences how your behavior and how you think and how you view the world, and you know, I, I think there's so much talk about like uh, your mind over matter, and it doesn't shouldn't matter where you are. Like your your brain is, you know, it's it's up to you, and you make the decisions. And 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 the truth is, it's a it's a uh, interactive process. It's like the way you're thinking and how you're thinking is influenced by your your environment.
1: Yes, isolation is the enemy. Um, what you're describing there is, is how, given isolation, given a lack of someone to bounce ideas off, not listening to, to people's ideas about things, you reinforce your own beliefs, and you don't see the mistakes. And when, when that starts happening, then, yes, you're going to dig yourself into the same hole you always dig yourself into. So in that respect, therapists, are, that's when I went back to my therapist and said, Bonnie, Um, I seem to be doing it again. And she said, yes, you are. You're digging yourself into the same spot. Once again, you're saving the day. Which day are you saving this time? (laughs) So then we look at it and say, yeah, okay, that's probably not what I should be doing. She goes, you're right. And then there are different models. There's a lot of different... A good psychologist like Bonnie um, has... There are tools she can give me. She'll... she'll, um, I can't remember the name of the actual last one I did, but it looked at my just my personality and said, Your personality, this is what you do. You reject this, you're waiting for people to come forward with that. You don't like this kind of interaction, you value this kind of this interaction. Those kinds of tools are really helpful. So to that degree, if you can find a psychologist who helps you understand, there are some wonderful tools, very basic tools, that give you t- that when you read the results of these tools, you say, You're right, that's me. That's amazing that this thing is described.
0: When you say tools like uh, MMPI or Myers Briggs and things like things that, things
1: like that, yeah, there's a bunch of others. Some of those are huge; they don't have to be that
0: huge. Yeah, MMPI is like what, like almost 600 questions. Yeah, it's, it's just insane. It's out is r- ridiculous, but it's a it's an amazing test though. <laughs> if you can take it, take it. But it, it is insane. But those kind of things are valuable. Um, what's
1: really, what the most valuable part is getting a good write up out of it. If all you get is a bunch of numbers and this says, well, I'm a, I'm a a thinking, feeling, whatever. Right,
0: I-N-T-J, right.
1: Yeah. Then you're like, okay, great, I don't know what to do with that. At some point, though, if you can get someone who can put that in good terms and describe what that really means in terms of behaviors, then you can recognize those behaviors and say, yeah, that's me. But then you have to figure out what you're doing with that because mm-hmm. it doesn't help just to know what you're doing. It has, to, it has to know. You have to know why you're doing it, what it is you're filling with that. What, what makes me a thinking person? What do I get out of that? So that's where a therapist comes in. and helps you learn your secondary game. Why, why, what do I feel about? Why do I feel better thinking? Mm. And is that really a defense, or is that just a primary, a primary pleasure for me?
0: And once again, it's not about changing who you are. It's about accepting who you are so that you can strategize around it.
1: That's the is number it? one thing
0: is acceptance when uh-huh. you
1: stop and this goes back to the suicide. a lot of people when they're talking with with a child, for example, who the child is thinking that she might want to end her life hmm. or he might want to end his life, the parents are are trying to impress who they think the child should be on the child instead of working with who the child is at that moment because they think that if I can make you who I think you are that includes you're also not somebody who wants to kill themselves right but if you can accept who that person is at that moment and make them feel heard then they can decide who they want to be and both people change you don't parents don't get to own their children it doesn't work and so people have to understand that you're learning who this person is that you have that you've raised you're not getting to finish polishing off your, your project here.
0: Wow. Right, because, you know, there's, there's that, you know, I'm the parent I know better, and you're not old enough yet to make your own decisions, and uh, and that can really get hammered into a child's head and, and into adulthood. Yeah. A lot of times,
1: um, a lot of times parents, when you start out, you're helping kids learn how to name things. Naming is one of the th- most powerful things that we do, um, is naming emotions naming thoughts because our minds work with words and so if if you're feeling a certain way until you have a name for it you can't really you can until you have a shorthand you can't really work with it once you have a name for something then you have that shorthand you can manipulate it it's it's just natural so the more we name things the more we name emotions uh, or ways that we are in a moment then the more we have ways of working that. We'll get to emotional literacy. I'll cover that in a second. So with kids, one of the ways we do it is we have to have we have to teach them these names and we have to help them name things. But at the same time, often in the same time we're saying what you're feeling is depression. And then they'll turn around and say, I feel depressed. And you're busy and you say, You don't feel depressed right now. You're hungry. Go eat something. <clears throat> and so we deny. Once once kids learn to use these words, one of the first things we do sometimes as parents is deny them, deny the reality of our children, and mm. say, Well, I've just learned this word. You, as a parent, you'll have to figure out whether the kids are just fiddling with you because they have a new tool to wield against you, or whether they really are feeling the emotions that they're claiming they feel. And that's part of the art of parenting, is figure out which is which.
0: Mm. Emotional literacy.
1: Emotional literacy is the number one thing that people need to work with. If you can imagine um, having to go through your day and you at the beginning of the day had to choose five words and you had to say everything that day using those five words and no other words, and it's just through some combination of those five words, you had to express everything you did that that day. It would be very hard to do. It's awkward. And you're not going to have a great time. Similarly, though, a lot of us have emotions that are clustered in four or five words.
0: Yep. Angry, pissed. Yeah. I'm cool. I mean, most people. I'm yeah. fine. I'm good. Pissed, angry. That's it. Hungry, horny. Yeah. Angry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and nobody's using hurt. You know, uncomfortable, bothered, embarrassed, uh, embarrassed, disappointed. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Accomplished, or even you know, ex- uh, you know, excited. Uh, my mom always uses wonderful. She's like, oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> I feel wonderful. You know. Yes. Uh, a lot of people use awesome. They're like, "Oh, it's awesome." I was like, "I never use awesome," you know. But there are. There's a million. I just bought a book called uh, "When Food Is Comfort," and they list like, uh, like 200 different emotional words, and they they group them. They break them down in like seven categories or something like that. Okay. Um. Four four like five to seven categories, and I was just going through, and I was like, "Wow, I don't use a lot of these words." Well, that is you probably knew most of them. Absolutely. 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 But you know, don't use them. Don't use them at all. But but you know, I also grew up, you said in a household where um there wasn't uh there, there we didn't talk about emotions. Yes. There, there wasn't an emotional vocabulary in our household. So now as an adult, you know, I get into a relationship uh and even not just a relationship, just even by myself i had realized like my brain has to work overtime to label and identify the emotion that i'm feeling mm-hmm. you know it's it's work it, it really does require effort but there it's like you said once you're able to label it and you're able to figure it out you know i was i did a, a leo talk on my instagram where um i remember i was at like a grocery store and lady was like how you feeling and i couldn't answer it Because I didn't know what the feeling was. (laughs) And she kind of looked at me because I could tell she was expecting me just to be like, I'm good, I'm fine. But I I really was like, I don't know what this is. Mm -hmm. And later on, it dawned on me that I was feeling powerless. But at the time, and then when I was able to label it, I felt 10 times better. It felt like the 50-pound bag had been lifted off of my shoulders just because I was able to specifically identify the feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, there were of course there were other feelings attached, but that was the primary, like once I got to that one, it just like
1: <gasps> Yeah. So we go back to the thing now where we're doing where we say that people keep repeating things until they feel heard. You didn't feel heard. Right. You kept that weight on you until you felt heard. When you finally heard yourself.
0: Oh uh-huh. wow hearing yourself, <laughs> right. right, right. Then you right, say, right. wow Right, right.
1: And when you when you can hear yourself clearly, that's why it's way I tell people that you you can fix yourself. One yes. of the things you do is when you hear yourself clearly, then that kind of transformation occurs. Hmm. Then you can go back to going, wow, what I really feel is deeply embarrassed. And then suddenly, when you open up the door, to some instance of something that led to that deep embarrassment mm-hmm. or that connection, you do your own therapy. You sit there and go, Well, I know where that comes from. Wow. And tick, 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 the dominoes fall. Yeah. And you, you may or may not like where they go, but you say, Wow, I can't believe it. I'm still bothered by that.
0: Right, right. Uh is there anything that you're uh reading right now or anything that you recommend to the listeners to read to uh to increase their emotional literacy, or it doesn't even have to be a self-help. It could be a fiction book, like maybe there's a story where, you're like, man, this is such a great book, and there's so many lessons in here.
1: Boy, that's hard because my reading is, is completely different than this.
0: How so? What do you? What do you? What do you I, I,
1: I read nonfiction stuff. Uh huh. I read uh, my interests when in my my hobby now is in in, um, civilian governance of police departments.
0: that's funny (laughs) civilian governance of police departments yes so uh, all right so i'm gonna is there a good book that in that in that realm that (laughs) you're like oh no (laughs) no they're all
1: it's all boring (laughs) it's it's terrible if i was to read a book that uh, that was most enlightening or accessible. I know that the ancient book, Feeling Good.
0: Is it just called Feeling Good? Yeah. What was that by? Do by David Burns. David Burns. Yeah,
1: that tells about cognitive behavioral therapy. It's okay. one of the earliest books on cognitive behavioral therapy for the masses. Um, and it tells about the concepts of cognitive behavioral therapy. It opens up a door to this whole idea of thought chains. And of the thought errors and of the ways that you're thinking how you can how you can challenge your thoughts and sit down with yourself and say, "Is that true and so that is the one I would really recommend that people look at it's It's an old book, but it was it's been really helpful
0: um and this is a random question uh is there is there any music that you listen to 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 relax or soothe or...
1: I listen to every kind of music. Right. Uh, one of the things I do is sing in the car. You um, sing in the car? I got to tell people, you got to sing.
0: Can you? Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> hold on.
1: Do you have a voice? No. I, <laughs> to, to borrow the phrase, I'm a great singer with a terrible voice. I have breath control. I have phrasing. I have all that
0: stuff. But the voice behind it is not there. That is hilarious. And then what was it? Did you sing something on the way over here today?
1: No. Today I was, No. I didn't, today I was concentrating on whether I'd have
0: time to get coffee. <laughs> that that's hilarious. I, I lo- go ahead.
1: I sing I, every kind of music. There's, um, every time I say there's some, some genre I really don't care for, I'll hear something in it that's like, okay, except that one.
0: I, I sing all the time. It does make me feel great. Actually, it helps me um, in the morning to wake up because yeah. my first clients usually at 5 a.m. Uh, But also in the evening, uh, you know, talking about decompression at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. turning on music, and I realize when you turn on music that you know that you can sing to, versus like songs that you don't know, they don't quite get the juices going as much. But old songs or new, it doesn't matter. Singing songs that you know and and just you know, you don't have to sing it loud. Just dance around the house. Oh, it's it's fun. fun. And if you
1: really care, if you're trying to sing it right then that is itself takes you out of your mind.
0: You Absolutely. sit there and
1: say, boy, I nailed that. Or it's like, you know, I'm just going to keep doing that until I get that.
0: Absolutely. Uh, we like to end every podcast with things we're grateful for. Mm-hmm. We like to name three things. I'll, I'll go first. Uh, three things I'm grateful for. One, I'm grateful for this conversation. Like, this has been eye-opening um, I, I've I've learned so much and I and I know that my listeners out there have gotten some incredible value from that. Two, I'm grateful that I got out of bed this morning and went hiking. I I wasn't gonna do it. I was gonna stay in bed. I was like, I went hiking yesterday, my legs won't be able to do it today. And but you know, I was like, let me just show up and see what happens. And sure enough, like I I was sucking wind the first <laughs> thirty minutes. My legs were like, Why are we doing this? We just did this yesterday, I hate you. And then <laughs> <laughs> Thirty-one minutes in my legs were like, we love you. We're so glad you brought us out here today, you know. And then, you know, you know, twelve point two miles later, uh, feeling great. And um, and then the third thing I'm grateful for is uh, being able to. I, I, I've been sleeping so well. Oh, sleep is such a big thing sleep. to my I, to my mental health. I realize, like I, like, I I used to try to stay up late or work out, and I'm like, I if I. Like, just one bad night of sleep can de- derail me for, like, a few days. Yeah. So I, I've really been, um, and that's why I like to go on the long hikes. I don't I do not do these long hikes uh, out of an ego thing. I realize, like, I have this nine-year-old inside of me that I have to, like, take out for a walk. And if I don't do it, <laughs> it's going to keep me up at night. It's yeah. just like the, when you have kids. And if they don't play enough during the day, yep. then they're going to play at night. So I got to, like, wear out this nine-year-old inside of me so that I can get some sleep at night, you know? So uh, well, what, are you, what are three things you're grateful for, Chris?
1: First of all, I'm grateful for my wife, for Dee, who, when I look at my life, every major innovation that is, has stuck, including college shirts, has come
0: <laughs> through
1: Dee. So she has saved my life, literally, Uh when I was choking on something once, and figuratively. Wow. So Dee has saved my life. And so she that she's in my life is the thing I'm most grateful for. Yes. And that she sticks with me and endures me and listens to me being <laughs> pedantic from time to time. <laughs> and is managing not to roll her eyes constantly at me. So that's, she is amazing. That I'm basically healthy. That despite mm. various things that have gone on, I wake up without pain and I, My legs work, and I can see straight. Mm. And every day I notice that, and every day Mm. I realize that it doesn't have to be that way. A lot of people I work with are not living that life, and it makes their life hell. And I don't have that hell. Mm. And finally, I'm grateful that I found I found a line of work now that is me. And I spend my days. I come home energized, Mm. and I come home psyched. Mm. Um, And I'm grateful for that.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much. Chris Brown, for uh, doing the, the, the podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, we will see you and talk to you soon. I love you guys. Take care of yourself. Peace.